So um, the, reason, the reason I asked about awkward conversations is because today we close our series, Roots, um, with an awkward conversation. Uh, Jesus has perhaps one of the most awkward conversations in history. Jesus is talking to a crowd. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So throughout Roots, uh, you know, we have this curriculum that's paired with it um, called the Roots Challenge, and each week there are three lessons per topic. Uh, and on the Lord's Supper, this was one of those topics. Lydia and I went through, um, through the Lord's Supper through uh, this week called God Connects, how he connects with us. And we're reading this text. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I look up, or, or rather Lydia's reading the text, and she turns to me with this face. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, you know, and I was thinking like, I think that might be the face I make every time I read these words. Like, it's just, they're so striking and so bizarre that the instant, um, the instant instinct is to shrink away from this. They're like, that's weird. Uh, surely he can't mean this. Or let me make these into a metaphor. Let me transform these a little bit so they're more palatable. They can't possibly mean what he's, what he's saying. This is a massive sticking point between Christians. We'll say, well, this is actually Jesus' body and blood. No, this is a symbol. No, Jesus can't come in body and blood because he's in heaven now. So we spiritually ascend to, uh, our souls ascend to him, to commune with him every time we take communion. You know, different denominations have different takes on this. And Palm, this Palm Sunday, we recognize that these really go hand in hand. These texts of what happens when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and what's happening with these crowds are very much the same because it's more than just a battle of, of substance. This is more than just a battle of, okay, what do these words mean or what's actually occurring at this time? This is a battle of kingdoms. There, there is a fight going on. And today we recognize the fact that God connects to us through Jesus and while that is a beautiful thing and why it brings grace and victory and all that stuff, at the moment of its occurrence, it's not beautiful. It's not victorious. It's not pleasant. In fact, it is unpleasant. It is ugly. It is striking. When God connects with us, God's kingdom brings violence to us. And that was promised, right? Even in the garden, when God first told Adam and Eve, your child will be the end of this serpent. Your child will be the end of all of this brokenness. He said, he said to the serpent, you will strike his heel. He will crush your head. Okay, this is not a beautiful, majestic Ah, fluffy image, right? This is a violent image. When kingdoms clash, when the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world came together, Christ Jesus was killed. 
Okay? Not a beautiful thing. A hunk gasping flesh was hanging on the cross. Not beautiful. Okay? And he calls us to follow him in that. So as, as bad as that is, Christ hanging on the cross, as violent as that is, he does a lot more to us. Like we may have, the kingdom of the world may have struck his heel, but he crushes our head. There's nothing left. There's no more preferences. That we, we, don't, we, don't get to, we don't get a say in our preference. We don't get a say in our comfort. We don't get a say in our hope, in our loyalties. All of that dies. All of it. What we understood life to be is now gone. And it resurrects as something totally different. When Christ comes back, he totally undoes, flips on its head what God's kingdom is. So we not only say that our, our hope and our loyalties and our preferences, our comfort, that's not all that dies. Our comprehension dies with it. How we understand God's kingdom to operate. How we understand the kingdom of the world to operate. All of that goes away. So when God's kingdom clashes with ours and, these, um, and, and this spiritual violence occurs, uh, it's understandable then that the results would be offense for us. We get offended. We push back. We get hesitant. No, surely not that. I don't want to go there. So therefore, Jesus can't have gone there. It breeds confusion, it breeds anger, it breeds fear. It initiates this fight or flight response, but the last thing it does is to say, sit and die. That, that is not what comes to our brain naturally. 11 times in this context, in John 6, 11 times, Jesus calls himself the bread of life or bread from heaven or something of that nature. 11 times in this conversation he has with people. So here's, here's what happened. Here's why that phrase is so important. Because right before that, Jesus fed what scholars commonly number to be about 9,000 people. We call it the feeding of the 5,000. There was 5,000 men, okay? Including women and children, it was probably more like nine. Okay, so 9,000 people Jesus is feeding physically with, with a kid's lunch. Okay, he multiplies it and feeds them until there's 12 baskets of leftovers, right? He keeps going and going and going until people are so stuffed that they, they can't eat anymore. Jesus leaves. He, this is, he's teaching, he's offering, you know, these life life lessons and life hacks, and people are like, yes, yes, this is good. He leaves, he crosses this lake, they catch up to him on the other side of the lake. And they, they want more. So Jesus says, do the work of my father. And they say, well, what's that? Give us a sign, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We're about to get fed again, as if that wasn't the sign, right? Feed us again. Moses fed us. You feed us. So he says, I am the bread of life. And they say, okay, yes, we believe. He says, no, 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 no. I am the bread of life. You need to eat the bread of life to live. Yes, 
Eternal bread. Yes, yes, Jesus, amen, keep going. No, 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 no. You need to feed on the bread of life. Okay, this is getting a little, it's getting a little weird, a little awkward. Um, I'm not sure I'm tracking with this metaphor. No, 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 no. You need to chew with your teeth, rend. The word is trogo. In the Greek, there's estheo and trogo. He had used estheo up to this point. It's like he's leading them into this very difficult concept. And he goes deeper and deeper and deeper until finally he says trogo, physically, chew, rend, tear with your teeth. Tear what? My flesh. And at this point, they say, okay, stop. This is getting gross. This is getting offensive. And I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, if you don't, if you don't, you can't have any part of me. So people are starting to get really offended. They're like, listen, we know you. You're one of us. We can't eat you, okay? We can't, we're not gonna, we're not gonna eat you to be saved by God. This is, this is disgusting. And they leave. A lot of them just, just walk away because they can't, they can't take it. And he says, he says, if this is difficult for you to understand, what's gonna happen when I actually ascend in my body to heaven? What are you gonna do with that? There's more to come. If this is, if this is the worst spot for you, if this is where you get hung up, then everything that is about to occur is going to totally undo you, okay? Everything is going to dismantle what, what you acknowledge to be truth and existence and reality. Because in the words of, um, you, let me go back for a second. This is not unprecedented in John 6. At the beginning of the book, Jesus says, I'm going to tear down all of these stones, this temple, everything that you, know, you see around here, this majestic stuff, all of it's going to come down. Not a single stone is going to be left on each other. And John, John explains this. He says what he was talking about was his body. He was talking about his body. He's going to die and come back. Um, that didn't happen here. There's not like this weird metaphor going on that John has to explain. He doesn't explain it. He leaves the words to mean what they mean. In fact, when Jesus has the opportunity to say, how can y'all not believe what I'm saying? How can this be so difficult? Here's what I mean. Let me break it down for you. That doesn't happen. He keeps insisting. In fact, he gets more and more and more picturesque, more visible, more offensive. He just keeps going deeper. No, don't. Don't just consume me, feed on me. Don't just feed on me, tear my flesh apart. With your teeth, consume me bodily. He doesn't explain it. He just keeps getting more and more insistent until they say, I can't take anymore. This is not fitting my categories. And it happens again, six chapters later. So the very first Passover of the book of John, Jesus drives a lot of people out of the temple and he says, what you understand the kingdom of God to be and the worship here in this place is not what you think. Get out. The second time Passover rolls around, Jesus has this conversation. Eat my body. And people clear out. The last, Jesus is, is, is cleansing. He 
He's cleansing his kingdom. He's cleansing his followers. So the first time he cleanses people out of the temple who think, okay, well, this is just this is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. We sell, we, we conduct our business, and God is kind of waiting over here in the wings. He cleanses that. People get curious. They start following him. He cleanses that and says, it's not good enough to be curious. You need to be all in. People walk away. And the last one happens at Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday. That's the last Passover when Jesus cleanses the 12 closest to him. And he says, you don't get what it means. Especially you, Judas. And he cleanses him. He's out. God is clarifying. This is my kingdom. When Jesus rolls into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, there were a lot of people that thought, This is the kingdom of God. Come, he's going to cleanse everything. The kingdom has arrived when what was actually happening was the king just showed up to the battlefield. Okay? Nothing had happened yet. They thought that they were going to get their Israel back, that he's going to drive out Rome. That's not what happened. He's going to fight in a totally different way. And, And we're left thinking this kingdom is not what I expected. In fact, every time we get to the Lord's Supper, we have to rehash that conversation. What is this kingdom? What am I, what am I doing? Because we get stuck on this body and this blood as the, as the church, and we say, well, you know, it can't be actual physical body and blood, forgetting that Jesus' actual physical body and blood is not like our actual physical body and blood because it's glorified, right? He's not saying to this crowd, eat me right here, right now, take my flesh, drink my blood. It's not that. He's saying what my flesh and blood will become are unlike anything you've ever seen before. It's, it's not only dividable, it's not only consumable, it doesn't go away. It just keeps going forever and ever, feeding my church, glorifying my body, forgiving your sins, raising you up. It doesn't stop. What you imagine life and flesh and blood to be is not what I say flesh and blood is because what's coming is resurrection. What's coming is glory. And that is not like anything you have ever known before. The words that he's giving them cannot be comprehended through a lens of, well, that's cannibalism. That's weird. It's not the same body and blood. We do actually, truly consume Jesus' body and blood, but it is not the same body and blood as we have or what we understand body and blood to be. In the words of Luther, you know, we get stuck. Well, is it, is it symbolic? Is it just belief or is it like actual consumption? And Luther says, whether it enters the mouth or the heart... It's the same body. We forget the word that comes to our ears was the word that took flesh. It's the same body. Okay? It comes in a multitude of ways. So is it easier? Is it easier to believe? Audrey and I were having this conversation the other night. Like, you know, that that really is strange to listen and trust and believe Jesus when he says, eat my body, drink my blood. That's just bizarre. Is it any easier to believe, you know, spiritually ascend to this place and, you know, eat in the presence of God? Is that any easier to believe? On the other hand, you know, we, a lot of Lutherans who have grown up in the church take great pride and personal security and, well, I know what it is. It's the actual body and blood of Christ. And that's why I can come to the real... 
Is it possible to believe what this substance truly is without acknowledging the full and utter claim it has on our lives? 1 Corinthians 10 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation, participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We are co-heirs of grace with Christ. We are participants in his kingdom. The God who sentenced us to death goes through death into new life. And he says, follow me. Follow me. Come with me. Through death to new life. We don't just get to skip that and say, I'll meet you on the other side of the lake. Okay? We walk with him. All right? We don't get to, we don't get to choose when and how and where we follow. It just We have to be careful because... If we're not careful, we can very much confuse these kingdoms. Um, is, is this working? Can you pull up the next one? If we confuse these kingdoms, there, there are two words that are common in both of these realms. We talk about freedom. We talk about sacrifice in, in both of these areas. When you look here, and think freedom and sacrifice. And when you look here and think freedom and sacrifice, it can conjure up two very different pictures. And, and typically, you know, if, if we're too wrapped up in this world, we have this freedom and sacrifice informing this freedom and sacrifice. So freedom and sacrifice are all about worshiping openly and freely and having your rights and, and, and no one can tell me what to do and if anyone tries, I'm gonna rebel because this is the way, this is the American way. When, if we take freedom and sacrifice informing out in this worldly kingdom, we, we actually die. We, we die to obstructions of justice. And not just die to it, but willingly. When the crowds thought Jesus, when, when the crowd saw Jesus coming in to the city, crying, Hosanna, save us. This is what they were thinking. Take what is ours. Give us our nation back. Give us a good way of life. Feed us. Give us the freedoms we need. Jesus had a very different idea of freedom and sacrifice. And he's teaching them. They, they don't know what they're cheering for. So we have to be careful when we say, well, I'm in the kingdom of God. Hosanna, save me. We have to be very careful with that. What does it mean to be in the kingdom? We don't get to decide how and when and where and for whom that happens. All of that has been decided for us. Christ shows us in his body. He leads us through that because he takes every vestige of himself, of his will, of his desires, of his safety, and he throws it down. So are we clutching on how and where and when and why we follow? Are we holding on to that? Are we trying to decide, well, not them, but them, or not there, but here, or not now, but then? Are, are we trying to hold on to these things and say, I get to decide this? Because if that's the case, 
Who, who is it that we're following? If our lives are not characteristic of Jesus, then we're not under his kingdom. The king went to the cross because he loved you, not to make you lovable. Let me say that again. The king went to the cross because he loved you, not to make you lovable. When we try to choose, like, well, here's how and here's who and here's when, we say, I'm going to set this up so I can make the circumstances right. I'm going to make these people in this time lovable so I'm able to love them. Jesus went when we were unlovable, when we were sinners, when we were dead. Then he goes to the cross. This is our only course. It's not an option. This is our only way. We can't keep softening the word to make it mean what we want so we can do what we want when we want. We can't keep softening the word. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross and we follow him. And stop spiritualizing the cross. Okay? My inconvenience. Um... That guy just cut in front of me in Starbucks on my way here. But I'm not going to say anything because this is my cross. Come on. Right? I'm going to sit at this light and I'm going to pray because I'm being inconvenienced and this is my sacrifice. Stop softening the word. The cross is spiritual violence. The kingdom of God brings death before it brings life. So we get our mind past the kingdom of the world. We acknowledge that his kingdom, his body, is not like ours. But he makes ours like his. Okay? He turns it. Jesus' kingdom is not like ours, but he makes ours like his. We go to the cross before we have resurrection and victory. In Christ, there is no resurrection without the cross. But there's also no cross without a resurrection. Victory is certain. Life is certain. Okay? Every Sunday, when we celebrate this meal, when we eat bread, drink wine, um, and celebrate communion, we're celebrating the kingdom come. We're celebrating the fact that we've been conquered by God. That's why we confess our sins before we come up. We say, everything that is mine, I I put to death. I I lay before you. Okay. What is about to occur here is all you. This is your life. This is your body. This is your blood. This is your forgiveness. This is your kingdom having come to me. It's not get right with God and be worthy before you step up here. It's acknowledging that the kingdom comes with violence. And we don't say, yes, God, please conquer me. He says, you're not able. You can't understand. Right? You can't possibly understand. You would walk away as soon as I said, eat my body, drink my blood. Peter, when when Jesus says to his disciples, are you not going to walk away too? What was Peter's response? What? Where else would we go? Who else has the words of life? I don't get what you're saying, but I know no one else is going to tell me better. Right? I don't fully understand what you're saying, but I know you have life, so I'll wait and I'll sit in it. I doubt it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I will sit with you because there is nowhere else I can possibly go. And we do this every week. We don't, we don't get it. We don't fully understand it. But we come here and we worship him and say, I, I don't believe. Help my unbelief. Right? I, I, I can't come to life. Raise me up from death.
And some of our members this morning are going to experience this expression of the kingdom for the first time. So we celebrate with them. But first, they and we will prepare our hearts, our lives to be conquered. We're going to acknowledge when we say, Hosanna, save us, we don't always get what that means. And we're going to confess that and say, I don't always get it. God teach me. God save me. God forgive me. That's what this time is right now. Would y'all take a few minutes just to confess in your heart silently our place in the kingdom of God and our need for him. 